If you're our guest here today, welcome to Cornerstone Fellowship Group. Thank you, uh, Julio and those, Steve, and those who have partnered with you to help clean up our roster. Obviously, we have some people here. We have new people here. We have some people yet to come back. And we're just praying that God will uh, kind of bring us back together again. Isn't this a great space? Can you say amen to that? I mean, I, 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 the, the elder in charge is Dave Muxlow. Okay, so one of the things God's people need to do is say thank you. Okay, so, you know, a little word, send it to Grace Church in care of Dave Muxlow. He's the elder. Obviously, he didn't wield the hammer and the drywall and all that, but he's the leader behind. And obviously, we're not done. We got cords hanging and uh, things still in process. But I am so grateful for the upgrade in our space. And it's just only going to get better, and you make it best because you're here enriching it with life and vitality. And I'm grateful, and I'm grateful to be back. Those of you who were with me a couple weeks ago, uh, Karen and I traveled to Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, Monday a week ago, um, and uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago tomorrow, uh, we flew to Erie, Pennsylvania to uh, buy a car. You say, why Pennsylvania? Because it's a depressed area of the country, and they want to sell cars cheaper than they want to sell them in California. <laughs> and uh, so I flew to Erie with Karen, and uh, we did 2,700 miles driving home, so it is thoroughly broken in. Um, <laughs> Well, I couldn't make it back last week. I want to thank my elder teammates for the Q&A. I trust, as always, that's helpful. I was in Albuquerque last Saturday night, um, working hard to get back across the country. Uh, there were some significant storms that went through, a system from Minneapolis all the way to the Gulf Coast, tornadic, hail, etc. One does not want to see if his car will withstand golf ball-sized hail. And uh, so we made it to St. Louis, underground garage. Um, Great trip, great time. God protected us. I just couldn't get back by last Sunday. And I'm grateful to be back with you today. A couple of uh, kind of, for whatever it's worth, pastor to people, brother to brother, Husband to husbands. Um, people ask me, and even the guys selling me the car, you could tell they were envious at the whole idea that you're going to drive across the country with your new car and you got your wife with you. And how good is that? Well, you know what? It's better than you would think. Um, two words of encouragement. Number one, in marriage, and I've been married, it'll be 39 years in June. Two years we dated, so I'm in my 41st year with one girl, Um, and uh, I learned something, or at least maybe I've learned it and I'd forgotten it, but there's a difference between microwave and crock pot. (laughs) If you're a cook, you understand microwave, heats it up fast, gets it ready, it's date night. Crock-Pot is 2,700 miles, six days, nowhere to go, undistracted, and extended. Now, I didn't say crack-pot. I said (laughs) crock-pot. Now, I mean this seriously. There's something good that happens in marriage over extended time uninterrupted. There's transactions that occur between a husband and wife that 
time typically doesn't allow, distractions typically uh, prevent. And the opportunity to spend mile after mile, 750 miles on Friday, 750 miles on Saturday, and it's a big country. But there's no distractions. You just talk about whatever you want to talk about whenever the Lord prompts it, whatever some trigger event uh, promotes it. And I recommend it. So date nights are great. You ought to have them. Vacations are great. You ought to do them. But find a way for extended time, undistracted time. If that makes sense, would you say amen? that resonate with somebody. Some wife ought to be elbowing her husband right now. Or maybe it's the husband going, hey, honey, these kids are great, but we got to (laughs) go. So we're back in the book of James today. So we started off two weeks ago, jumping back in after over a year being away from this rich, fertile real estate, biblically, as it relates to what it means to be a Christian written by the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the head of the church at Jerusalem, camel knees, buttress, bulwark of the people, James the Just, the senior pastor of the biggest church in the world, writing to Christians sown like seed, dispersed due to persecution out into the world as gospel seed, providentially, purposefully by God. But beyond that, apparently James had heard reports about Christians not living as Christians. Faith that wasn't manifest and validated by work. Works do not save you, but works validate saving faith. Earliest and oldest book in the New Testament, written in the late 50s, early 60 A.D., James is writing to the church and basically saying, this is the validating evidence of true Christianity. This is the lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian. These are the works that must be manifest to validate true faith. You can claim it. You can say you believe in God. Even the demons do that. But what validates your faith as genuine and real is the way you live. And he articulates and elevates and promotes critical categories of relevant Christian living that must be true of you. They are not negotiable. Over 50 times there's an imperative, which is a a mood or a voice of Greek that says, you've got to do this. It's not like you should or you might or I hope you do. You have to. These are the manifest qualities of what it means to be truly Christian. And as if you needed greater motivation, James also says these are the features that will be the assessing, examining points when you come to the beam of the judgment. The law of God, the prescriptive will of God as revealed in the word of God, inspired in scripture, is the means by which you will be assessed, measured, and rewarded. That's why James says in chapter 3, don't seek to be a teacher. Because as a teacher, you have greater responsibility. There's greater judgment. You know more. You're responsible for more. You'll be assessed in a different way. And in in chapter 2, verse 13, it says that you also need to be aware 
to the end that you show mercy because there is judgment. Judgment is real, not the kind of the great white throne where there will be the eternal judgment of live and be separate from me. This is the reward of, of faithful life where you are blessed and benefited by the assessor, the master himself. James is the most practical book in the New Testament when it comes to Christian living. Some have called it the Proverbs of the New Testament. This is the way you live. I want to boil it down to this big idea. James, real Christianity. The lifestyle and the convictions of a biblical Christian. So as we navigate our way back into this book, this is an assessing tool, an examining tool, and an encouraging admonition to say, live right. If you're a Christian, live like a Christian. And this is how Christians live. I want you to uh, look at uh, Psalm 19 with me, and we're going to begin there. We started last week or two weeks ago talking about the background of James. We also jumped in, and we're doing kind of a road trip. Okay, We're going to cover lots of miles on the interstate. We're going to wave at scenery. And then we're going to pull over, and we're actually going to drink some in. So that first night in St. Louis, there's an arch there, and there's a river there, and there's tugboats and steamboats even. You pull over, you stop, you drink it in. It's beautiful. It's rare. It's worth the time. So as we get back to chapter 214, which is where we're headed, we're going to cover some ground, and we're also going to pull over. Today's pullover is in recognition of the high value, incredible, incredible importance of the Word of God working in your life as the change agent that it is. Real Christianity, lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian is revealed by first 18 verses of chapter 1. Real Christians deal with difficulty differently and successfully. We talked about that last time. Outward difficulty, financial difficulty, verses 9 and 10, and then inward difficulty, verses 11 through 18 of chapter 1. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, or chapter 1 rather, beginning with verse 19, introduces the second critical Lifestyle conviction of a biblical Christian. All right, listen up. They are changed by the word of God. And they are changing by the word of God. Real Christians are changed by the word of truth. And real Christians keep on changing by the word of truth. There are no static Christians. Real Christianity is changed and is changing. That's the conviction James articulates. And I want to begin with the high value of what precipitates or promotes that change. And it is the word of God. Verse 7, chapter Psalm 19, talks about the word of God, calling it the law of the Lord. I just want you to look at what the law of the Lord does, what the Word of God does. It reveals God in ways that nothing else does. The world is God's 
way of revealing himself, and the word is God's way of revealing himself, and this word does great work. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now watch this, it restores the soul. The word restore means to refresh, renew, replenish. You feel flat, static, empty, alone, feel dead, feel broken, feel injured, life's been hard. You want restoration? The law of the Lord is God's perfect tool to restore what's broken, injured, dormant, quiet, revitalize, replenish, renew. It's take, like taking the old and shipping it to a manufacturer and having it restored. That's what the Word of God does. Verse 7, it restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Wisdom is knowing how to live from God's vantage point so you can enjoy what otherwise you can't know or experience. Wisdom is better than precious stone. Desire desire her more than anything else, Proverbs 8 says. Nothing you desire compares with her. Silver and gold can't acquire what wisdom acquires. And it makes simple people. And that's not dumb people. It's not, I lack a few IQ points people. It's people that don't know morally how to live maturely in a way that invites and blesses and allows God to pour out a life experience that is priceless. What helps you think and live right? Make good choices. The word of God. The testimonies of the Lord. Testimony of the Lord makes you wise. You can count on it. The precepts of the Lord, verse 8, are right. Watch this. Rejoicing the heart. Better than winning the NCAA basketball games that were played yesterday and the tournament winners yesterday doing things like this. Better than that is the joy of being a Christian governed by and guided by the words of God. It rejoices your heart. It's not situational. It's internal. It brings a joy that the world cannot take away. It's not only life-giving. It's joy-producing. The commandment of the Lord, verse 8, is pure. It enlightens the eyes. It helps you understand. Man, I'm clueless. I don't know what to do. The Word of God is the way to help you understand. So as you navigate life, you make good choices. You respond in the right ways. You have understanding. Listen, you're playing with priceless people. You live with them. You interact with them. You need understanding to know how to deal with them. Listen, one of the things you learn after 41 years and 2,700 miles is there's stuff you still have to learn. There's understanding you still need to acquire because of the complexity and the uniqueness of humanity. What grants you that understanding? The Word of God. What rejoices your heart? The Word of God. What restores your soul? The words of God. What makes simple, immature, I don't know how to morally navigate in a complex world, wise? The words of God. Now here's a statement. You have been changed by the Word of God, and you need to be changing by the Word of God. And we're pulling over 
at a sight to be understood and embraced because most Christians will give lip service to the Bible, but they won't live as if the Bible is the chief change agent that transforms, reforms, refreshes, renews, and rejoices your heart. We do it on Sunday. We might do it at a Bible study midweek. We may pull out the Bible and enjoy the new LSB and see what those guys found out and discovered and wrote that might be helpful to me. But we don't treat the Bible like the Bible needs to be treated. As a real Christian, we need a conviction. And James talks about that conviction. And it's not casual. It's intentional. It's non-negotiable. It's essential. And it's transformational because real Christians are not only changed by the word of truth, they are changing by the word of the truth. The reason I highlighted this at the very outcome is to motivate you to reconsider and assess. As I look at what the Bible is in my life, where and where I deal with it or engage it, how I engage it, what I do with it, its value, its priority, I want you to assess, where am I compared to where this passage demands that I be? All right, James chapter 1. So we're now back to the book. How's that for an introduction? (laughs) You know, I, I really thought about driving by this. Just make one big statement, changed and changing. And uh, decided that this is so cardinal, so crucial, so foundational to the transformation that James desires and the clarity that he is promoting. You need to own this, and therefore I want to punctuate the priority of this. Verse 18. In the exercise of his will, God's will, capital H, He, God, brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. God's doing, God's sovereign doing, as a consequence of his will and choice, not yours, God supernaturally brought you forth, birthed you, put life in you, transformed you, dead to living, not alive, to being alive, brought forth by the word of truth. You're going to see six references to the word of God in this little section. It is the centerpiece subject. Brought us forth by the word of truth so that, purpose clause, we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Kind because in the Old Testament, you had a lot of first fruits. You had grain and wine and cattle and herds and grapes, and you had harvest first fruits. The figure of first fruits is meant to communicate to God's people the goal of God. First fruits were the first of the harvest, the best and the first to be offered to the first and the best. No matter what the crop would be in terms of volume, the first of it, the best of it was offered to the giver of it, God. First fruit offerings were worship offerings. They were acceptable to God because God wanted not only the first of the grain, he wanted the firstborn. They belonged to me. I am a great God. I deserve the first and the best. First fruit says, I want you 
to become a worship offering to me. One of the kinds of first fruits. Jesus was the first fruit born from the dead, the first of his kind. You're to be a worship offering to communicate to God his worth and to communicate to the world the God whose worth you are promoting. You are a worship offering, and that is the consequence of his work through his word. There's nobody here that's a Christian because they just woke up one morning and said, today's the day for me. God is operational. God is sovereign. Dead people do nothing. God has to do what he does in order for you to be brought forth to be a worship offering, honoring the one who made you and has saved you. And how does that happen? Romans 10. The faith that comes by hearing, and the hearing which is the words of God. Somebody told you the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. You can live the gospel, but somebody has to hear the truth of the gospel in order to be saved. You're brought forth and changed by the words of God. Verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, here's the second statement, receive the word. The words of God which you hear humbly, which are planted like seeds, which will sprout and bear fruit in your soul, which is able to save your souls, not because it just changes you, but because it keeps on changing you. You understand this, Christian. You are saved and you are being saved. You are saved eternally and positionally, and you're also being saved from the corruption of the flesh in order to become what God wants you to be, and that happens by the word of God planted in you, sown like seed, giving birth to life change. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Do you see the word, word? Prove yourselves doers of the word, because that's the theme of this section. Receive the word implanted. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at this natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently... This is a key verse for this morning. But one who looks intently. Now, it's not referring to the word here by title. It's calling it the law, the perfect law, the law which produces and affects liberty. The one who looks intently at the word, which is the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Real Christians live a blessed life because they live a life ever changing through the word of God, having been changed by the word of truth. 
It is a perfect law. Its source guarantees it. It is from a perfect God. It's given and revealed by God who has no imperfections. The revelation you have is trustworthy and perfect. It is a quality, flawless, highest, without defect law. It cannot be improved upon. It is by its outcome, perfect. It produces maturity, whole, complete, lacking in nothing, Christ-like quality, character. The word of God is a perfect law, and listen, it affects liberty. What you cannot find humanly, God grants spiritually. It, it affects and produces true liberty, freedom found in doing God's perfect will, not your own. Jesus in John 8, abide in my word, you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. The word of God affects liberty, it produces maturity, it is perfect, and it's parked in your heart, and it's available to you for your access. So like seed, it can be planted into you like high octane protein and nourishment so that you become fully formed as a child of God for the glory of God. You receive it, you do it, you're transformed by it, and people benefit from the fruit of it. Psalm 1, you bear fruit in your season. Your leaf never withers. You're like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. And whatever you do, Psalm 1 says, because of the word of God you delight in, that you meditate in, you are prosperous. Whatever you do, you accomplish. Listen, Cornerstone, this is a word-preaching church. But it needs to be more than a word-knowing church and a word-receiving church. It needs to be a word-doing church. It's the Word of God that transforms our life. So I want to highlight some things. We've pulled over. It's not the arch in St. Louis. It's this section. And I want to challenge you, real Christians, not only diligently seek to hear the Word of God, they seek to do the truth. They don't just enthusiastically learn the truth. They diligently apply the truth. If James were here today, he would say genuine faith is proven, not only by how often it hears the Bible, but how effectively it applies that truth from the Bible. One of the great advantages we have is we are in one of the greatest truth-telling churches in the world. We are. This is not a perfect church, but it is committed above all things to the telling of the truth, to the end that Christ is manifest and lived out. But one of the great dangers we have is we hear it, we get used to it, and we're not diligently committed to living it. The sermon isn't finished until the sermon is applied. Your devotional reading isn't finished until that devotional reading results in a changed reality. Prove yourselves doers of the word, not just hearers only. There's nothing wrong with being a hearer. The word is for auditor. It's somebody who pays attention, takes notes. Some of you have notebooks open, pens in your hand, and you're jotting things down. And you should. 
Confucius says, weakest ink, strong, better than strongest memory. What you don't write down, you remember 10% of. What you do write down, you remember 50% of. And what you live, you remember 80% of. A hearer is an auditor. A hearer is somebody who's coming because they want to learn. They got their notebook open. No, they're not taking any tests. They're not writing any papers, but they want to learn. They have no obligation for the responsibilities of the class. They just want to learn. That's a lot of Christians. Hey, give me another Bible study. Hey, where are they teaching? What's John saying now? What book have you read? A person who's a learner, who's intentional, who doesn't abide by what is taught, is irrational. Paralegizomai. Legizomai means reason. Para, you're outside of reason. You're alongside of it. Wherever reason is, you're alongside of reason, which makes you insane. It's crazy for a Christian to know the truth and not do the truth to be a hearer of it anxiously and desirously and intentionally wanting to learn it, but not doing it. That person is irrational because the goal of the truth is changed living. Real Christians are changed by the word justification. And they are changing by the word sanctification. And that takes intentional commitment, some do's and some don'ts. This passage is the declaration that there are things that you need to do in order to accomplish this desired work of God to the end that God is revealed in you as a worship offering. So that whoever sees you doesn't praise you first, gives glory to God first. Because that's what a worship offering is. It's an expression of worth to the one who is worthy to be worshipped. So let me give you some things to do highlighted from this passage. And the first one, these are the do's, because the word is and does what it does. These are some things a Christian should do. Do have, verse 19, a conviction. Do have, as a conviction, live your life as a resolved and settled expression that you believe that the power of the word of truth in your life will change you. Verse 19, this you know. This is James saying, you know this. It's a perfect tense verb, which means you know it and you continue to know it. Know what? That the word of God changed you. That the goal of God is to make you a worship offering. Because you know that, as a conviction, keep hearing, listening, intaking, and applying the words of God. Listen, until you have a conviction that the word of God is the change agent that it is, you won't take a dose every day sufficient to change your life. Listen, when you discover some supplement that changes you, Guess what you'll be doing every day? I found this supplement. You know, our family's sick. We take all kinds of things. Some are trustworthy. Some may not so much. And somebody said, hey, this will help you. Well, periodically, I'll try one of those things because I have no known 
malady that would suggest that I'm taking this as a placebo. Because there is a placebo effect. You take stuff, you feel better. Why do you feel better? I don't know. It's stuff. It's helping me. But I've been taking this supplement that somebody in my old church family suggested would be transformational. And as I've aged, and I know I'm younger than I I am, look younger than I am, but as I've aged, I get these spots, these aging spots, these brown spots. And you, and you get these little defects of the skin. I'm no longer going to be pursued by anybody in Hollywood for picture taking. <laughs> Not that I ever would be, but certainly wouldn't be now because of these deformities. You know, this stuff I'm taking, taking it a year and a half. The brown spots are going away. The deformities are going away. I'd won the size of a nickel, right, or dime rather, right here on my forehead. It's gone. I could show you a before picture and an after picture. <laughs> Do you know your skin is the largest organ in your body? So here's my theory. If I can see changes in my body through my skin, I'm going to keep taking this stuff because I'm convinced that it helps me. And you know what? I traveled to St. Louis. I had a little plastic baggie with all of my supplements right there. Do you know how many days I missed? None. <laughs> it's not that I want to live forever. I just want to look good until I don't live. <laughs> now you're laughing, but listen, you would all do that too if you believe that supplement was life-changing. Here's a Christian who's going to be changed They have a non-negotiable conviction. They know this, that the word changed me to the end that I become what otherwise I can't be, and I need a daily dose of it sufficient in order to effect and finish that transformation. And there is no Christian who is optimizing the transformation worthy of one so wonderful as God as a first fruit, best of the group worship offering who doesn't know that. It is a resolved conviction that says, I'm in the Bible. I'm in the Bible not just to learn more stuff, but to be changed by the Bible. And the brown spots, they may not go away instantly, and they don't. But it's really cool to look how consistently they go away. Listen, very rarely as a Christian, other than your transformation at salvation, is there instant change. But there's guaranteed progressive change. And the Bible is the conviction, I need to do this. I'm committed to doing this. Number two, the second do is not just to to know, to do have a conviction resolved and settled, but to be quick to hear Verse 19, because of this that you know, but everyone, do you see everyone? No exceptions. Young, old, new to Christ, older in Christ. Everyone must be, do you see that must? It's an imperative. No options. Everybody must be quick to hear. Now, there's a lot of things I could say, and this is a highlight. This is proactive diligent, intentional 
pursuit. It's do it fast and it's do it with energy, diligently, furiously. It's like, wait, we have a little miniature dachshund. She is food motivated. Doesn't matter what she's interested in in the backyard, how, how cool the neighbor's dog is. If I want her in the back door, all I have to do is imply that I've got food for her. And what happens with Happy, and that's her name, Happy responds to the idea quickly. She is quick to respond. She's fast. She's motivated. She comes hustling. She doesn't wait around. She's anxious. She's proactive. She's determined to get the promise of the treat. Here's what a Christian is. Every time the word of God is taught, every time the word of God is available, they are quick and anxious to gain knowledge by the hearing, by the listening, by the learning. They are anxious to learn the truth daily, proactively, pursuing fast. Be quick. It is the main verb is be. It's a present tense verb. This is a way of life. The Bible is a part of my regular rhythm that I do deal with in terms of pursuit actively. I am quick to hear. Number three. Do put aside all filthiness and wickedness. Now I'm going to come back to be slow to speak and slow to anger. I want to go to verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, because the goal of God is righteousness. And there's a participle that modifies the words, receive the word in verse 21. And it says, after, this is how it would read, therefore, after putting aside all filthiness, which is a word for earwax, medically, putting aside all the dirt that clogs your ears that are designed to hear, Remove that and all wickedness. Wickedness has to do with the behavior. Earwax is the internal attitudes of sinfulness that plug your ears from hearing the word of God and take off the garments of wickedness, the dirty clothes of bad behavior that conflict and contradict your claim as a Christian. Why? Because if you're living in sin, you can't hear. And if you're living in sin and thinking in sinful, wicked, lustful, carnal, fleshly ways, you not only can't hear, you can't change. You need to get rid of that, removing all wickedness, all filthiness. Listen, everybody has things they're inclined to negotiate with God. If you know that the word of God is transformational by a conviction, you also need to know that there are things that inhibit that transformation. I want to change. And I want to change fast, not slow. I want to become spiritually athletic. I don't want to be the guy in the weight room working like crazy and then headed to Burbank finding my favorite Krispy Kreme donut. 
I love Krispy Kremes, but they will inhibit my capacity to become fit. So why am I working hard studying the Bible, investing and studying and learning and meditating and memorizing if I'm going to contradict that goal by what I eat, by what I do, by my spiritual lack of fitness? Changing according to the Word of God is the product of putting aside, do put aside all filthiness and wickedness. Number four, be slow to speak. Verse 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow is an emphasis word. It's meant to slow down and think before you speak. Be slow to speak means to deliberately think before you talk, as if you understand. Here's a good synonym for slow to speak. Meditate. On what you hear, so you can understand it. Slow down, think about it, so that you can understand it before you talk about it. Slow to speak. Pythagoras, who was a Greek philosopher, if you were his disciple, you couldn't talk for the first five years. Did you hear that? I didn't say five days, five weeks, five months. I said five years. You know why? My disciples can't learn by talking. The Jews said nothing is better for the body than silence. It is the spice of speech, and the chief of all spices is silence. It is the hedge of wisdom. Quote, speech is silver, silence is golden. Number four, be slow to anger. Slow to anger. This means to resist reacting to the circumstances you're in. Why? And contextually, verses 1 through 18 are about what? Trials and temptations. Trials and temptations can make you angry at God or the people of God who are trying to give you advice about how to live through your difficulty or deal with your temptation. The assumption I make is you can get angry and frustrated. God, why are you doing this? You can be angry at God because it's providential sovereignty. I don't need this right now. Or you have some well-intended brother or sister who comes along and tells you the truth about how you ought to live or think. And you don't want to hear that either. It comes across unsympathetic, and it may be. But the point is you get frustrated. And in the frustration, whether it's vertical or horizontal, guess what happens? It inhibits your ability to receive the truth and to cooperate with God in a way that allows the change to occur. Because the goal of God, declared in verse 20, cannot be accomplished with the anger of man. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Hey, does anybody know what the goal of God is? Righteousness. Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteousness. And the upright, those who live righteously, will behold his face. The glory of God and intimacy with God is the product of being right with God, and being right with God is not achieved by the anger of man. 
So do be slow to speak and do be slow to anger because it defeats the purpose and goal of God, which is true religion lived out. Anger destroys and it derails. It denies you the transformation that God intends for you. And listen, we justify anger all the time. Hey, you hurt me. Yep, they may have hurt you. But anger doesn't work the solution to hurt. Ephesians 4, forgiveness works the solution of hurt. We justify it, we get cold, we may not scream and holler, but we're still mad. We do the silent treatment, we step back, we do whatever it is to express our frustration in a way that lets that person know that's unacceptable. And when it's the anger of the flesh, the anger of man at the resentment and frustration because you hurt me, it, it forfeits the transformational life of Christ, first fruit, worship work, the word of God wants to do in you. You cannot grow angry. It does not achieve the righteousness of God. I had someone say to me recently, Harry, you, you haven't lived a day in my shoes. My anger is justified. Listen, it might be justified from a human vantage point. It's just not productive. It is destructive. I don't have to understand. Be slow to anger. Number six. Humbly receive. This is the main verb in verse 21. Do humbly receive. Verse 21 says, after putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word. The word receive is welcome, decamai. It means to open the doors wide and say, come on in. Whatever you're selling God, I want to have it. The Spirit of God through the Word of God and the people of God are communicating the truth of God, which is transformational. You welcome that. The word humble is a rare word, hard to define. It has to do with intentional rationality. It's not emotional. It's committed humility, serenity, power. It's not an emotional reaction. It's not a resistance or reaction. It is a determination. It is a, let me put it this, it's a teachable spirit. It's a teachable spirit that welcomes the seed of the word like a patient would the antibiotic that they need for the illness they know they have. Humble enough to know I need what I don't have to become what I need to be and what God made and saved me to be. There's no proud resentment. There's measured excitement because I know the benefit of what God is gifting me in his truth. And I humbly receive it even when it hurts. There's a kind of hurt that is good for us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I don't need you any more than when I am on the threshold of failure for you to come and interrupt my foolishness. And a Christian is willing to humbly receive and hopefully Christians humbly offer advice and admonition. Galatians chapter 6 says those of you that are spiritual restore someone in a spirit of what? Meekness. 
That's gentle strength. I'm not better than you. We all stumble in many ways, James will say later. There's nobody sinless except the Savior. This could be me. I'm not better than you. Hopefully I will offer it in a way that's loving and gracious and kind, but it may wound you. And a teachable spirit says, I'm willing to receive it. I'm willing to hear it. I'm willing to accept it because I know I need what I don't have independent of it. It's able to face the truth even when it hurts. Not I don't deserve this, but boy, I do need this. That is humbly receive. Do number seven. Do not be merely hearers can be implied like hearing is not significant. Hearing is significant. It's enthusiastic listening. Don't merely be a hearer, but listen to me, but certainly be a hearer. Certainly be a hearer. You know, the thing today is I'm going to text. I'm going to check out the latest uh, notice that I have on my phone. Some of your phones are going to buzz during church today, maybe buzzing right now. Some of you may be checked out going, you know what? I've heard this before. I don't need this today. I've got things I really do need today. And you're somewhere else. Listen, life change happens because you're tuned in and turned on. A hearer is tuned in, turned on. I already talked about it. It's an auditor. I want to learn. I got my Bible open. I got my notebook open. I'm taking notes. Number eight. Number eight is the heart of this. This is verse 22. Prove, present, imperative. Prove it daily. Prove yourselves doers. Let me summarize it this way. Prove and display in reality, not in potential. Prove yourselves diligently and daily, appliers of the words that you have learned. It is defective to be a as a Christian, to be knowing it and not doing it. Apply it. How's my life going to change? I love this word. I think I highlighted this for you before. Doers, poetai. You can hear the word poetry in it. A doer is a poet of the truth. You live in a way that the words are not beautiful. The life is beautiful. The poet is one who puts words together in order to express a thought or feeling in a beautiful way. The Christian is someone who wants to be a doer of the truth in a beautiful way to bring glory to the one who is worthy of notice and attention. We're to take the experiences of our life, its trials and its temptations. We're to couple them with the truth of God's word that we hear and present them as an attractive poem to the watching world around us. We are to be poetai. Doers, beautiful doers, creative doers, productive doers. Look, doodling is creative, but it's not productive. Doers are producers, and they are creative poets. Number nine, they are effectual doers. Do be effectual 
in what you do. Verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. You become something. You look intently at the words of God, like a man looks intently. The, the, word, the Greek word's interesting. It means to fix your eyes on and be totally absorbed in something. The only analogy I can give you, if she's really pretty, you're paying attention. The woman that you're married to or the woman you'd like to be married to catches your eye and you're paying attention. You get absorbed in that. You fix your eyes, you fix your attention on, you're interested in her because of her beauty. Most people understand what it means to have themselves affected by something that required their attention. It means penetrating absorption, intense occupation. Maybe a better analogy is, is, listen, if you're on the bomb squad and you've got to defuse this bomb, you're not on the bomb squad, but you've got a bomb and you've got to defuse it. How are you going to listen to the bomb squad guy on the cell phone telling you what to do? That's this word. Or you've got one shot at opening this safe and it's got a lifetime of resources in it. It's going to change your life and you're going to hear that Code, what's the thing when you open a safe? What's it called? Combination, thank you. You're going to hear that combination one time. How are you going to listen? This word. Whether you're diffusing a bomb or opening a, a, a safe that's going to change your life, you are intensely absorbed in understanding what it is so you can live it, apply it, And number 10, you can abide by it. Para, meno. Meno is to be someplace. Para is to stay in that place. You live there. You're consistently living out the commitments of life change that have occurred by the words of God. Consistently you stay in it and consistently you apply it. You stay at the discipline proactively hearing, diligently doing so that your life can be constant, listen to me, transforming. Listen, I think most of us treat the Bible like our latest diet and exercise program. We do it for a while, but listen, the reason we started out doing it cannot be achieved unless we keep on doing it. This is not a New Year's resolution. This is a life-changing daily application. What happens, verse 25, that man will be blessed in what he does. Now, you know where blessing doesn't come through your efforts. It comes from God's provision. I have a blessing that I'm willing to pour out that you cannot contain. And there's big blessing associated with big changing as a consequence of biblical committed living. Not just hearing it, abiding in it, doing it, consistently living it. James says real Christians are changed and are changing by the word of God. Here's my final summary question. 
in assessing your life, are you a hearer or are you a doer? Are you a hearer or are you a doer? Read it, memorize it, meditate on it, share it, and figure out how to live it. And watch what God does by way of his word and by way of his promise. I need what I can't manufacture. I can't make myself Christ-like. Do you understand that? I can't make myself a good husband, a good father, a good anything. That is the fruit of the supernatural seed sown in me. And God does what God does so the world sees him and others are benefited by him in me. Christ is seen. Can you say amen to that? Your children need it. Your neighbors need it. And you need it. And God's worthy of it. Please don't treat this like another call to the scripture. Take this to heart because real Christians own this and they live this. Father, thank you for the time this morning, your word. Thank you for its opportunity to be challenged by it. Lord, we all need it and we thank you for it. Thank you for the treasure of the gift of these inspired words from heaven. And Lord, I pray that we'll capture and capitalize on the treasure that lies within Psalm 19 went on to say, it's better than gold, much than much fine gold. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.